Welcome to Forward Progress on the Hammer Betting Network on this Tuesday, December 12th. We've got an action-packed show. We'll discuss uh, both Monday night football games, including did Miami and Green Bay get exposed yesterday? We'll do some film review, an early look at injury information and how to navigate it. And we're going to have an all-encompassing discussion on the Bears' future of the roster and what they do with Justin Fields and potentially the first overall pick. Uh, before we do all that, I want you to hit the like button like Dan Rivera has already done. He's in the comments. Subscribe, comment, any questions you have today. We're going to we're gonna answer them if you ask them in the comments. Of course, none of this would be possible with our sponsor, Pinnacle. They're the world's sharpest sports book and available to betters in Ontario. Find out what the pros have known for the last 25 years. Everyday competitive odds, your trusted sports book. Bet smart, bet pinnacle, must be 19 plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly. With that being said, I'm your host, George Sofidis. Tuesdays, I'm joined by Sharp Clark, NFL originator, betting analyst at 444.com. Clark, how are you, my friend? Not bad, not bad. It was, it was a good weekend. Disappointing night last night, but overall, good weekend. What did you make of uh, two Monday night football games on simultaneously? I love Mon I love Sundays where a lot of games are happening at once. I hate it for, for Mondays. I like standalone games. It doesn't matter to me because I don't watch live on, on primetime games. So, you know, one, two, doesn't matter. I'm, I'm, I'm watching, re you know, the film that happened the day before, usually during the game because it's much more efficient. But uh, I did I did flip it on towards the end of the game. And I kind of liked how there was two pieces of action at the same time. It was like a little bit closer to Sunday. But, yeah, I didn't have the full game experience. I didn't like that it would spoil some, even though I've got multiple screens going. One is um, uh, on a delay, so it was spoiling stuff I'm going to see. in the. Uh, anyways, the viewing experience, I hated it. I want to know in the comments, did you guys like uh, both games overlapping? Did you hate it? Where do you stand on that? Let's talk about the games, Clark. Uh, and I guess let's start with the Tennessee-Miami game. What did the Titans do offensively to move the ball so well against a Dolphins defense that's looked pretty damn good the last two months? I wasn't particularly impressed with the Titans offense overall. I thought that the Dolphins defense looked gassed by the end of the game. And there were just several plays where they just blew coverages, you know, and, and Will Levis was delivering the ball well downfield, but it was pretty easy at the end of the game. Uh, in, in the early game, when the game mattered, I thought the defense played really well for Miami. And I mean, this was 13-13 with six minutes left of Miami punting. So the the scoreboard was a little bit misleading, I think, in oh, terms yeah. of how, how the Dolphins defense played outside yeah. the last two drives. <laughs> well, the Dolphins defense also scored a defensive touchdown. It's just yeah, for, for the life of them, like, you know, I always say when, when you're up two scores and there's not much time left, don't give them anything deep. Like. If they're going to get a touchdown, make it take five minutes. Yeah. And I hate when I see a two-minute score and I'm like, you've just opened this game up here just by giving up deep shots. Almost like Green Bay uh, in their final drive against the Giants. Like, they just gave up 15 yards at a time and I couldn't figure it out. Let's stick yeah, you, with this. Oh, you expect it from Joe Barry, but not from uh, Vic Fangio. Yeah, 100%. Well, let's stick with this game. Um, do the Dolphins feel vulnerable? They, they obviously didn't have... Teron Armstead and Robert Hunt, which are two of our best offensive linemen. But we also lose a very important Connor Williams, our center. And then all of a sudden, um, Tua's under fire. Um, no Tyreek Hill for a lot of portions of the game. And uh, we couldn't get guys open right away. 
And it, it, we finally got a glimpse of uh, life without Tyreek. And my God, I don't want to experience that too much longer. And I really hope he doesn't have a high ankle sprain. Um, but do they feel like thinner or more vulnerable than a lot of the other top teams? Definitely. And this was actually why I, I refused to go in on bullish Dolphins futures, even though I thought their offense had a good chance to be explosive because I thought they were more fragile than the other contenders. And, you know, that goes to the quarterback who has been hurt most years. And so he's made it through this year, which has been great. But um, I also think the offense is reliant on speed. And with Tyreek Hill gets hurt, I think that is a massive downgrade. Uh, Devin Achan emergence as a rookie has taken some of the pressure off of the skill players because they now, now have another guy with that kind of speed, which helps. But I just think about teams like them, the, the Eagles are the same way. I think if they lost AJ Brown and or Devonta Smith, I think their passing game would really, really stumble. Uh, yeah. They're just heavily reliant on those guys. And I think that Miami's the same way. Whereas teams like Kansas City and Baltimore, it's more about what the quarterback's doing. It doesn't really matter. You know, they're not reliant on stud receivers. They're just kind of like, you know, flushing guys in and out. Um, so, yeah, I do think the Dolphins are more vulnerable. Their offensive line injuries are not quite as impactful as some teams because their offense is so well designed to get the ball out quickly and reduce the impact of quick pressure. Uh, but it, eventually they start mattering, right, especially for that run game they've been so reliant on. So definitely more fragile. The injuries are are majorly more concerning for the Dolphins than the result of the game was for me last night. Yeah, I, I said um, I I'm glad that there was no real like season-ending injuries in this game. And I know Tyreek got hurt and Connor Williams got hurt. And uh, defensively, we also Deshaun Elliott, our safety. I said, I would gladly take no long-term injuries and give the win, the win away. Because to me, all that matters is full health when it matters in the playoff time. If Tyreek has to miss some time, I think they should get Devin A-Chain uh, playing more receiver with his pure speed. He's short like Tyreek. He could... You could use him in a lot of ways that we use Tyreek. We have another capable running back, and I think that could be an adjustment that I'd like to see. Uh, I remember uh, talking with you a year ago on my other podcast, and you gave me a great analogy about Tua is like arguing uh, politics on Twitter. <laughs> Everybody's so polarized in it. It was a great analogy. Needless to say, Tua uh, probably killed his MVP candidacy last night. Uh, you have another analogy uh, as far as MVPs go. Yeah, so my analogy for MVPs is think about like, you know those cog machines where like you turn the first cog and then that turns the next cog and then that turns the next cog. And the more cogs you have, the less you have to turn the first cog in order to make the last cog spin, right? And what I think about when I'm comparing QBs, because MVP is essentially a QB award, is you can look at the final cog and say, which one is spinning the fastest and give it to the guy who's operating the machine that mm -hmm. is leading to that fastest spinning wheel, in which case that's Brock Purdy. There's no doubt that the 49ers are the best team in the league. The 49ers offense is playing the best football of any offense in the league. And Brock Purdy is the quarterback of that offense. Okay. But I think, and I think it's valid. If you want to vote MVP that way, I think that's fine. But I personally prefer to look at the nuance and the context and so not everyone is operating the same machine. And so you have some quarterbacks who are putting more work into that initial turn and mm. producing maybe less of an outcome because they have less cogs working for them in that machine. Um, and right now, to me, the, the the combination, I want a really fast spinning wheel at the end. I don't want, you know, a guy that's doing a lot of work for a shitty team. I want yeah. I want a team to be successful. But I also want that to be the result of the work of the quarterback. And in, in my opinion, to date, that's Dak, Dak Prescott. I think Dak Prescott is the MVP of the NFL. 
Um, some of the things that I see on film that I, I think don't always show up in the numbers are like his pre-snap game is is so good this year. Like people want to make fun of the here we go, but like I love it. His, his ability to diagnose defenses and use cadence to like you don't always have to bring a defender off sides to for it to be a successful use of cadence. Yeah. How many times do the Cowboys snap the ball? And the defenders are just hesitating for half a second because they're not sure if it was, you know, Dak trying to draw them off sides or if the play is really going. And that half second makes a massive difference on these plays in terms of how easy it is for the offensive line to block. Like, it's not a coincidence that the Cowboys offensive line is good every single year with Dak Prescott because yeah. it's what Dak, Dak Prescott is doing pre-snap to make their job easier, making the reads, making the adjustments, calling the right plays. And I think that that goes underrated in terms of how we evaluate these quarterbacks. And then post-snap, he's just he's playing really well, delivering the ball really nicely over the middle of the field, all that kind of stuff. So for me, I think it's Dak Prescott, but it's his his award to lose because of the Cowboys' upcoming schedule. If they stumble, then I think Purdy wins by default. Beat Gamer brings up a good comment. If Lamar beats San Fran, Miami, and Jags, he will win the MVP. This is what I hate about the award. Outside of like an outlier leads the league in touchdowns, like breaks a record. It's so fickle on who you played at, at the end of the season and what games have eyeballs on it. Like if, if, if Dallas beats Buffalo and then they beat Miami on Christmas Eve, yeah, Dak's going to win it. Right. But if Lamar runs that table, then, then he probably wins it. And if Josh Allen runs the entire gamut and they win six in a row to end the season, including games against Dallas and then Miami in the final week, he's probably going to win it. And I don't like that. Um, if you remember the year that Brady was the MVP heading, heading into week 17, uh, minus 450 in the betting markets, and he lays the egg against the Saints on national television. And because of it, it took him out of it. Aaron Rodgers secures his second straight MVP. Rodgers had the same dud in week one against the Saints that year, three-pick game. But his happened early in the season, not late in the season, and it swayed voters. So uh, MVP has become a, an award that I hate. Uh, I hate betting on because it's so filled with recency bias. Uh, let's let's talk about recency bias. Um, Will Levis up and down. Uh, so there's some games where you think maybe he's the guy and some games where you say he's definitely not the guy. Clark, where do you fall on it? Do you think, A, the Titans will give him next year as an opportunity? And B, do you think he can be their guy long-term? I think they're making the right call by having him play the rest of the season, even though Tannehill's healthy, because I don't know the answer to that question yet. But four more games could give them a, you know, a, a big enough sample size to make the decision on what they want to do for next year. Um, I do think that him being the starter day one of next year is within the range of outcomes. And performances like last night really help. I mean, pe people got to remember that this offensive line has not played well this year. The Titans have been struggling uh, on the ground game relative to recent years. You know, they don't have very good receivers. DeAndre Hopkins is awesome, but he's you know, not in his prime. Um, and so I think Will Levis' performance needs to be filtered through that lens of, of you know, going back to the analogy, like the cogs aren't doing a ton of work for Will yeah. Levis in this offense. Yeah. So I think if he can put together some more performances like that, um, I think he's a guy that is worth trotting out there on a rookie deal uh, because you get, you know, all the benefits of having that, um, like salary cap flexibility and, you know, another year in the offense, watching him develop. I, I think, I think he has an opportunity to prove he's the guy, but he hasn't done it yet. Got it. Got it. Um, okay. Let's move on to green Bay and giants. Then um, Jordan love didn't have a great game yesterday. And um, should people be worried or is growth not linear? And like, you know, 
three good games in a row. Then he has one bad one. It's like, oh, yeah, he's back to the guy he was. And it's like, no, th- this is what a rookie year looks like, right? Uh, you know, there's going to be good moments and there's going to be bad. I mean, Aaron Rodgers went on Pat McAfee's show last week and he said, I'm worried that the, the next time Jordan Love has a bad game, people are going to criticize him again because that's how that's how reactive we are in, in, in life. Plus, again, there's no Aaron Jones and Christian Watson again. Like the, he was missing a lot of weapons again. I don't want to make excuses for him, though, but what was your takeaway as far as Jordan Love goes? Yeah, he's also missing Luke Musgrave, who was who's playing well as a rookie. I didn't think Jordan Love played that terribly last night. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a good game, especially compared to his last four or so. Like this is the first time in a while that we've been like, wow, he finally disappointed us. Even that even his performance wasn't that bad. Like he threw about eight touchdown passes that didn't end up being touchdown passes because, you know, the guy dropped the ball or, you know, his foot was on the line or whatever. Like, yeah, he made some mistakes. The, the interception was really bad. I, don't, I guess he just didn't see the safety back there. Um, you know, he's got a hard on the ball and the fumble, but like, I didn't see anything concerning that would make me think that he's not the guy for the Packers. Um, I thought, you know, the giants blitz did a really good job. They were playing their hearts out. Um, and that offense, you know, without Christian Watson, it's like a safety valve without Aaron Jones on, on the ground game just yeah. isn't as good. Like, again, we're talking about a guy that doesn't have a ton of weapons. He's doing a lot of it himself. So I, I, I didn't come away that discouraged. My biggest takeaway from last night was how poor the Packers defense played and how well the giants offense played. Clark, uh, the Giants have been sacked like 69 or 73 times, not a single sack yesterday, which is it was. So let's talk about the Giants. Uh, all right. Tommy DeVito's not the worst quarterback of all time. I think we a lot of us who were hyperbolic were, were wrong about that uh, take. Um, but like he's won a lot of games now, four in a row. They've essentially eliminated themselves from a top draft pick. I guess they're stuck to Daniel Jones next year, right? I guess so. I mean, I, I'm, I don't believe in Tommy DeVito. I actually have a theory on this. Okay, this is this is my new Josh Dobbs theory. Okay, okay. I, I this came to me last night while I was, I was rewatching the the Giants game. So I think that there's a style of quarterback that is particularly successful coming out of nowhere onto a team as a backup. Uh, guys like Tommy DeVito, Josh Dobbs. Uh, Taylor Heineke, when he first came out of nowhere, yeah. um, Tyson Bagent this year. Yeah. It's the it's the mobile quarterback, not not running court, not run first quarterback, but mobile quarterback. Quarterbacks that can like run around in the pocket. Think about your college flag football team. Like it was always the guy, the quarterback who could just run around and extend plays. It didn't really matter what the play calls were. It was more about like I'm going to run around until I find someone open and check it downfield and make good things happen. And when they scramble, they run. They have no you know, like protecting their body instinct because they're yeah. just happy to be there. They're they're just gunning for it. They'll take the hits. They'll they'll go the extra mile for that first down. And what happens is like the structure doesn't matter. They're just playing fun ball, and it and it works for like three or four games. Yeah, we've seen this happen with so many of these types of quarterbacks. Um, and then eventually the tape builds up on these guys. Defenses figure out what they're doing, and then they ha- are forced to rely on structure again, and they just don't make it. Right. And I think that's the path that Tommy DeVito's on. I thought the path that Josh Dobbs was on, Taylor Heineke, all these guys. Um, and I think the counterfactual for that is the is the statue quarterback. These guys do not have that benefit. So I'm talking about guys like Tim Boyle, um, mm. I, Mike Glennon when he came in for the Giants a couple of years oh, ago. Yeah. Um uh, Brett Rippon uh, this year for the for the Rams. Yeah. These guys don't have that backyard ball. They they sit in the pocket. And when when you're a pocket quarterback that relies on timing and chemistry and time you know and uh like structure like playing within structure 
you can't just come into a team midseason having not been the guy and just like make it work right away. It's going to be downhill fast. So that's my analogy that I that I kind of realized with those guys. I don't know how actionable it is, but I yeah. think it's something that's worth thinking about moving forward. I don't know how you'd back test it, but uh, something I'm going to be thinking about when I when I see a lot of these. You know, quarterback injury is going to be a big part of handicapping the NFL. It looks like for years to come. So. I mean, this year alone, right? You 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 have to have a profile on like fifty different quarterbacks this year. That's just the reality of it. Uh, uh, Yolo ball works until it doesn't, Clark. Right? Yeah. yeah, but it was impressive. Devito, impressive performance, deserves it. Yeah, I'm not trying to take away from from his performance. Like he made it work. That that game winning drive was was just Devito playing well and and the Packers defense letting him have it. And and you know, congrats. Uh, let's talk about some film review. Uh, Rams Ravens was a, an exciting game. Uh, unbelievable finish, I guess uh, I would say to it. What were your thoughts watching uh, and dissecting the film? Yeah, my biggest takeaway, focusing on the Ravens offense in particular, because um, this is a Super Bowl contender, right? This is a team that I think a lot of people are hoping can make a Super Bowl run. And something that concerns me big time about this offense is Lamar Jackson is wasting a lot of plays throwing downfield into into nowhere, right? Like, oh, I'm, this guy's streaking. I'm gonna throw, it, and he's like ten yards off. And sometimes it's a bad throw. Sometimes the receiver doesn't, you know, make the right read or slows down. Um, and and I think his kind of numbers on downfield throws were a little bit inflated because of a complete blown coverage uh, where he threw to Isaiah likely down the sideline. Yeah. Wasn't a great throw. Almost almost turned what was should have been an easy touchdown to not a touchdown because of the throw. And then a really, really nice move by OBJ to just juke the pants off his guy. Um, another throw that could have been better that OBJ had to adjust to. But I think there's just far too many plays where Lamar's looking downfield and he's not running. And the thing that made Lamar special was when he had time in the pocket and the, the play developed and everything went downfield, was he would he would see the open space and he would capitalize. And defenses had to account for that. And he's been much more passive to do that this year. He's been much more reliant on downfield passing. And it's just not been consistent. Um, and against the Rams, it was on full display. If it weren't for blown coverages, the Ravens offense would have really struggled in this game. I, I wrote, so I think, that was one of my notes. I wrote, deep ball accuracy was bad. And the ones that he did hit, if the guy wasn't wide open, he would not have been able to adjust to it. Yep, totally. Um, and so I, I think there's two there's two things, right? One is, if that continues, I think there's some serious problems uh, for this Ravens playoff run. But two We've seen quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen up their willingness to run in the playoffs when injuries don't matter as much, you know, like the game's on the line. And, and it's possible that Lamar Jackson, you know, having been injured in each of the last few seasons, you know, around this time, he might be saving himself a little bit, especially after taking some nicks and, and dings earlier this season. Yeah. He, he might turn it on in the playoffs and turn those into runs, scrambles for first downs on, on third and long, et cetera. And if he does that, I think the Ravens can deliver, uh, but if he doesn't, I really think this team's in trouble. His escapability was good uh, on Sunday. I know he didn't run, but uh, there there was a lot of plays that could have ended in a sack. He did really well. Um, did you uh, did you have some thoughts on the Rams' offense? Because I got a couple couple big takeaways from that as well. I mean, Stafford played another hell of a game, especially late until overtime. I think both quarterbacks kind of stumbled in overtime, but um, I was really impressed with their ability to just pound the rock on that first drive. I, I kind of expected them to, to lean more into that later. Um, yeah. in the red zone. Um, it, it was really impressive. And I think if the Rams run game is going to work that well, um, I think that that really takes the pressure off Stafford in those more difficult matchups. And I think makes them once again, a contender in the NFC potentially. What my observation was like, okay, the Rams offense has had, this is the evolution they've had, right? 
Um, oh, wow. At the start of the season, oh, wow, the Rams still have a little bit of something. Stafford's not washed up, right? Yep. And then it's uh, running backs get hurt and Stafford gets hurt. And all of a sudden, oh, the Rams, okay, this is over. Season's over. It was a nice, you know, it was a nice thing. Then Kyron Williams comes back and it's like, oh, this offense has got a little bit of juice again. Cooper Cup wasn't healthy until this week. The ankle injuries that plagued him, and I, and I follow a lot of the injury doctors, they say, you know, a lot of high ankles linger. He hurt both ankles at different parts of the season. This was the first time Cooper Cup looked like he was running with explosiveness. Uh, Deepak Chona, one of the doctors that I follow on Twitter, said this was the first week expected full Cooper Cup. And this version of the Rams offense is very, very dangerous. I want to see this team in the playoffs. I, I think the Lions and the NFC South winner do not want to see this team in the playoffs. So I'm very, uh, I came away very, very impressed by finally the fully healthy offense. Like uh, even Demarcus Robinson has got enough speed to be, you know, to make a couple differences. And uh, Puka Nakua had one play where he laid out on the sideline. I said, this guy is really, really good, man. Uh, I know we thought he was just a product of like volume, but no, no, no. He actually plays really, really well. Yeah, agreed. I mean, Nakua also had a bad drop, but I think, you know, it's a, he's a rookie. He's he's a difference maker. And with both him and Cup healthy and Karen Williams, this, this yeah. Rams offense has some juice. He had the, he, he was looking at his next move and, and you can't forget about catching the ball first. Uh, Clark, I broke down some Lions and Bears film and I, I wanted to I wanted to give some props to the Bears first and then like really pick apart some stuff I saw with the Lions. Uh, I thought the the Bears ran the ball really well. And I said, you know what? Aleem McNeil is going to be a sneaky big injury for the uh, Lions D-line. I love the, the 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 play design on the first touchdown for the Bears, though. DJ Moore lines up as the QB and shotgun. Fields out wide as a wide receiver. Moore takes a direct snap, starts running left. Fields is coming back to the backfield as if he's going to take a reverse. Naturally, like this sucks all the attention because it's not a receiver coming back. It's the quarterback and you have to pay attention to him. Um, uh, it, 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 it drew the Mike linebacker and the safety. They kept going with fields. And then by the time they turned, changed the direction, they were out. But the key play here was Roshan Johnson was split out left and he sealed the edge on Aiden Hutchinson. It was such a beautiful block. And I'm like, man, the bears are doing some interesting things. Um, like I, we, we crapped on them, but they've been a lot better the last month and a half. Their coaching has done a really, really good job. It gives me some optimism that maybe this coaching staff might return, but there were some things about the lions that I, I just, I felt there was so much self-inflicted stuff. Um, uh, on the first drive, they missed two key tackles on third downs that uh, that uh, basically gave the, the Bears, allowed them to continue the drive and get that first touchdown. Uh, they're not getting Amon Ross St. Brown the ball anymore, and I don't know why uh, Ben Johnson uh, has lacked Amon Ross touches. He's got five catches in the last two games. This is a guy who should be getting eight to nine catches a game because he's that kind of player. Um, they had one promising drive, you know, O-lineman trips a guy, 15-yard penalty. It kills them. Uh, they got a problem with uh, Jack Campbell. He's brutal in coverage. Cole Komet, yeah. like, destroyed him on a, on a route and was open by 10-plus yards. Um, they had a touchdown that uh, perfectly set up screen. Jameer Gibbs drops the ball, and I'm like, oh, that – like, there was so much little things. And then despite all of this, Clark, it's 13-13 towards the end of the third quarter. It's 4th and 13 at the Bears' 38. 
and they're not going for it. They're trying to draw them off for five yards to get a field goal, maybe. And some reason, Aiden Hutchinson jumps offside. The Bears snap it and then hit DJ Moore for a 38-yard touchdown. Like, you literally went from being off the field to giving up seven in a game, and that was it. That was the last moment the game was close. Uh, there's something wrong with the, the Lions. It feels like self-inflicted stuff, and I think, but I think it's correctable. So I'm, I came away from this a little bit bullish on Detroit again because I think I think they're gonna I think they're gonna correct that stuff and maybe this week might be the week to do it. Not me. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not impressed with what the Lions are doing. Um I I feel like at this point their offense is living off reputation because mm. what name name a, a good offensive performance they've had against a good defense. They I mean you can look at their schedule and and, and you can come back later in the show and let me know. I mean turnovers not dependent. They did well in the game against the Bears the first time to come back. But so much of that was in comeback yeah. mode. Like defense yeah, yeah. play soft. Yeah. Like, I mean, sure, they came back and won great, but you shouldn't be down by 15 to the Bears um at home or whatever the score was in that one. And yeah, okay. Teams that are playing in comeback mode, like we saw it with the Titans last night, right? Like late in the game against the gas defense, you're down 15. Like you can just sling the ball downfield, play aggressive. That's what the Lions did. Great. But I mean, start to finish, they haven't done well against any good defenses they've faced. Mm. Um, and that's concerning. And I think that speaks to the quarterback. Like Jared, as much as we want to praise Ben Johnson and, and the scheme and the offensive line and the, and the, you know, the ways he gets his guys open, all that's great, but you need a quarterback that can operate it. And to me, this is the difference between Brock Purdy and Jared Goff is like Brock Purdy is capable of operating the offense without mistakes you know, he, yeah. he, he is getting it to the right guys, pulling the right triggers. You know, Tua does it too, although Tua makes too many mistakes. But um, but Jared Goff is not operating this fluidly. They're at their best when they run the ball. Like, even against uh, Chicago, yeah. I think their best drive was like, you know, a 41-yard run by Jimmy Gibbs was really the key yeah. to it. Like, when they can't run the ball and it's on Jared Goff, I, I, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing an offense that can go into the playoffs and make a run. Um, he, showed, so, he showed his ceiling. It's it's abundantly clear. He has to be at home in the dome, yeah. uh, and it, and he has to play from a a, a a positive game script because, uh, you know, there's limitations with a guy like Goff. And like the last five weeks, he's had a bad five weeks or really bad, a really really bad five weeks. I think I saw uh, somebody had posted um, what his numbers look like post buy, and I wonder if I. Can quickly still find it. Um, since the buy, Goff's QBR under pressure is 0.6. That's less than one out of 100. It's the worst mark in football by a mile. Uh, he has been brutal uh, when getting pressured the last month and a half. Yeah. Yeah, he can't handle pressure, and that's a problem when you're playing San Francisco, Dallas, any of those teams in the playoffs, especially if he has to play on the road. Um, you know, hopefully they can still, for, from the Lions' perspective, hopefully they can still get the three seed, but... Um, even that isn't a sure thing. Like I, I have some concerns about some of the remaining matchups on their schedule, yeah. um, especially some of the defenses they're facing. So th this is not a team that I'm looking they're, to get involved with right now. I, I think they're kind of uh, em emerging from what was a very promising start that I think in with more context is becoming less and less impressive, especially defensively. We'll talk about their game against Denver and the line movement in it and maybe some of the reasons for it. But before we do that, let's I want to talk about the Chicago Bears because they are in a conundrum. Uh, the Panthers have a two-game buffer on the next closest team. The Panthers are not going to win a game uh, again. They, they, they actually genuinely 
are, are just awful. If they do win one, they aren't going to find the second win. And very likely Chicago has the first overall pick. They uh, didn't take Stroud or Bryce Young last year in this same situation. My question is, is it different this year? Yes, I do. I think it's different. I think, I mean, I wouldn't have, I would have gone for one of those guys. Well, probably I'm not a college scout evaluator of talent. Um, so I, so I think the first thing you have to start with is that this upcoming quarterback class has a better projection for NFL performance than last year's did like CJ Stroud. Amazing. But it's not like people were consensus believing that before the draft. Whereas I think this year there are some really exciting prospects. So that's one thing that's different. The yeah. second thing that's different is you have another year of Justin Fields. You have another year of him being underwhelming. Like, I mean, he's fine. He's not terrible, but he's 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 not a difference maker. And yeah. you have another year of him getting hurt again. Every single year in the NFL, he's gotten hurt. Um, it, it's the style he, of football he plays. He hangs onto the ball too long, and he takes hits when he runs. It happens all the time. Sometimes he gets penalties. Sometimes he doesn't. doesn't matter. He's going to get injured again and again. And the third thing that's different is he's another year into his rookie contract. And the whole advantage to having a rookie contract is you get that benefit of, you know, more money you can spend elsewhere. And eventually you have to pay the guy. Um, And so he's entering his fourth year. If he has a good year, now you're now you're paying him. Um, And I think it's better to roll the dice on a potentially franchise altering quarterback. Uh, It's better to pay your quarterback less money than you'd have to pay if Justin Fields did end up good. Um, And hopefully you get someone that doesn't always get hurt. So I think. Uh, you know, the coaches are coaching for their jobs and doing a great job down the stretch. Um, and, you know, Fields can continue to play well. He might get interest elsewhere, but I don't think the Bears should roll in the next year with Fields as their quarterback. They got a happy dilemma, right? They can keep winning to, to try to secure their jobs and their pick is coming from Carolina. It's so on top of the fact that they're going to have potentially the first overall pick and probably still a top 10 or 12 pick. Then they're also going to get some sort of haul from Justin Fields. Maybe it's not a first-round pick. There's a lot of teams that will speculate for at least a second on a guy like Fields because of his age and, and potential talent. Uh, let's talk about uh, where, what teams might be interested in. And I think the profile is who needs a, uh, who needs a potential long-term franchise quarterback that has a roster that's decent enough to win now and has no shot at grabbing one of the quarterbacks in this upcoming draft, right? That fits like that feels like the profile of who would be interested in a Justin Fields. My favorite name is, is the Falcons. Um, I like the idea of him and Bijan Robinson together in the backfield, and Drake London and Kyle Pitts. I I really I I can see him in red. It just looks good. That's my leanings i think atlanta should take an honest look at them uh at him because if he becomes the guy great you have a huge advantage in a division that's got no long-term quarterback and if he's not it only costs you a second round pick and you you can get one in the following year who do you think uh is uh is the team that fits the best profile for him you know, I, I'm not a big fan of Justin Fields. So if if I'm running a team, he's not a guy that I'm looking to, you know, make moves to get. Um, I think I think his ceiling, unfortunately, is is kind of the Kirk Cousins ceiling where like, hey, he's good enough to make our team relevant, you know, each year. Um, and we have a shot at making the playoffs each year. But I just don't think he's good enough shown anything in three years to think that he's good enough to take a team deep into the playoffs. So if that's your goal as a franchise is to like, keep your team relevant and like floating around, then a team like Atlanta makes sense to me. 
you know, they have all the, the pieces and the the run game that they can, you know, they want to run the ball 40 times a game and Justin Fields will help them do that. Um, but outside of that, like, I just don't think he's a piece to build around in terms of trying to build a Super Bowl winning squad. Yeah, um, for sure. I'm of the believer of tanking uh, for your guy or building a really good roster and hoping you get a good processor in uh, in you know in, in an ideal situation. Um, all right, let's leave it at that. The Bears have an interesting conundrum, uh, and they'll solve that at the end of the year. Let's look at current market prices and lines. And we we talked about Denver, Detroit, uh, and Jason. If you can pull that up. Uh, Clark, I remember the line was sitting at three and a half and I w- was hoping it would hold a little bit longer than Monday. And I was hoping that it maybe would go to three, but some pick selling services gave out Detroit. And right now they're sitting at four and a half at Pinnacle. They're five in some spots. Clark, there's a, a well-known spot now about teams on their third straight road game uh, doing not doing well against the number. And I guess that can explain some of the move. Um What's your take on how the how far the market's moved, and is this something you're looking to play back? Uh, yeah, completely disagree. Broncos is one of my favorite sides of the whole year. <laughs> um, I mean, the, this look ahead was four and a half, and the the Lions embarrassed themselves against the Bears, and the Broncos destroyed the Chargers. Like, you know, before Justin Herbert went down, the Broncos were dominating that game. It could have been twenty one zero. And so this line, you know, coming out three and a half made sense that it was moved down. I thought three was probably fair and it got bet back up to five. So now the the line's even higher. Like what, what on earth about the lions is encouraging people to think that this is the spot that they're going to get it all together. The Broncos defense has been playing lights out since some early season struggles when half their defense was injured. Uh, They've done it against some good teams and the bills and the chiefs. And then more recently against some, some teams that are struggling a little bit, although the Chargers with Justin Herbert aren't exactly a bad offense and they did really well. Um, And so this kind of comes down to my thoughts on the lions still have not put forward a good performance against a good defense. Now this could be it, you know, the Broncos, I have my question marks, uh, especially about Russell Wilson. If he turns the ball over too many times, gives the lions short fields, like none of this will matter. The lions can, can run away with this at home, but I think if the if the Broncos kind of take the air out of the ball and and kind of do the thing where they run run and then hit some deep shots downfield, I'm not convinced the Lions' offense is good enough to keep up. And so, um, this is a a spot where I think anything three or under is fair. And and at the current price, it's a clear buy for me on the Broncos. All righty, uh, let's go. We have a triple header on Saturday. I like that. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure how you spend your Saturdays, but for myself. Uh, having three staggered games is it makes my job a lot easier on Mondays when I'm trying to review film of stuff I've missed. Um, Vikings and Bengals was kind of interesting. It, it was four and Clark, I was tempted to hit Minnesota and, and I said, you know what? I'm going to wait. Justin Jefferson got hurt and Brian O'Neill got hurt and, uh, they, they've got other offensive line injuries. And I said, I'll wait a little, uh, the betting markets didn't. They came in on Minnesota. They brought it to three and a half. Another thing that played in my head, Clark, was um, my. I've, I feel less confident about my Cincinnati number because uh, clearly I misevaluated Jake Browning. I thought the Colts plus three was a really good buy. Although we were right last week in in touting up um, the min, the Cincinnati Indy over at forty. We're like we didn't get the move to the under, and if the weather clears up, we're gonna be both be looking at hitting the over um, the Bengals also have been getting money three straight weeks on game day. So maybe this line can still get back into range. Uh, is there, uh, do you have thoughts on this game here, Clark? 
Yeah, I mean, I understand the money that came in on the Vikings because Jake Browning has looked really, really good in back-to-back weeks, but against very different defenses than what Brian Flores runs. And I think that's that's where this money's coming from, is saying, look, Flores is coaching his his, his ass off, and the blitz looks that he's going to give to an inexperienced quarterback who doesn't have that, mo- you know, he, he has some mobility. He's not a statue. He's kind of like Joe Burrow, actually. Um, like he he can use his mobility in key moments, but he's not like a Tommy DeVito where he's just going to constantly play backyard ball. So I yeah. think the fear is that Brian Flores will force him out of comfortable looks that he's been getting the last two weeks. And that could really disrupt an offense that relies on quarterback play. Um, so I, I do understand that that money. But uh, I, I also am having a hard time pricing the Bengals because I thought Browning was awful against Pittsburgh and then just absolutely incredible uh, yes. against the Jaguars um, and then solid against the Colts. So he's been all over the map. It's, it's a small sample size. You know, I'm, I'm a famous Joe Burrow isn't as good as people think he is kind of guy. So the idea that, that Browning would succeed in this offense doesn't surprise me all that much, but it's shocking how effective these screen passes have been like the running backs busting big plays on short passes. Well, well, he's, he's, he's averaging 4.4 air yards the last two weeks, Clark. It's just get the ball in the playmakers hands. They've had they had two running back passes, Chase Brown and Joe Mixon, that turned into forty yard gains. Like they yeah. know what they want to do, get the ball into the playmakers' hands and let them do the work. Yeah. So, and the thing that the thing that scares me, I think, if you're betting on the Bengals here, is like watch some of the quarterbacks that play against this Vikings defense, and like post snap, sometimes they just they just don't know what to do, and it's like you know the Vikings will line up nine guys in the line of scrimmage, eight guys in the line of scrimmage. And you, you don't know which ones are going to drop back. You don't know if they're all going to come. And it's it's not just, hey, we're going to blitz in every play. It's, hey, we're going to make it look like we're blitzing every play and then mix up what happens after that. And that's just been really tough for inexperienced quarterbacks. Aiden O'Connell was the latest victim, putting up a, a goose egg against the Vikings where he just had no idea what to do with the ball after the after the snap. So I think that's that's the fear if you're betting on the Bengals here to cover a big number. Uh, I'd like to think Fangio might be one of the best hires of a coordinator this offseason. Brian Flores has been the single best uh, coordinator hire this offseason. Uh, this is an interesting line, uh, Giants and New Orleans. The look ahead was like six, six and a half. Then the Giants win. You know, Tommy DeVito, his agent, looks like he was cast straight out of the Sopranos. The line reopens four and a half, and then the better say, nope, let's go back to six. Um were you surprised that they reopened it so low and, and the better saying, no, 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 we still want New Orleans at, uh, up to six here. I think that says it all about Joe Barry, right? Like, like the performance was more, yeah. The Packers- Once we digested it, we're like, okay, this was a Joe Barry indictment with his zero sack performance. Yeah. I think this is a, a an idea that the saints can, can get back on. I think it's a little premature to be back in the saints because there's a lot of injury concerns still on that team. And I think, I think they got to figure out a lot of stuff. Taysom Hill matters. And he wasn't in the game last week. Um, You know, what's, what's going on with some of the offensive linemen, some of the defensive players, 200 yards of offense. Like they don't block that punt. They, they could, that game changed on that block punt. Yeah. And and then you've also got like a man heavy defense against a quarterback that loves to run. Like that's never a comfortable spot. So I, I don't think that I, I was as eager as the market to get involved with the Saints here, but it was it was certainly not surprising that it happened. How about this one? Uh, Buffalo opened up one point favorites against Dallas. They're at home, and obviously, like Dallas is Dallas is probably the hottest team in the NFL, not named San Francisco. But 
we're all aware of the situation with Buffalo. They have to win out, right? Buffalo is in playoff mode, and they've been in playoff mode since November. Uh, are you surprised the markets were so quickly to jump on Buffalo and take it to two and a half? And do you think there's a chance we get to three or, or no way there would be instant Dallas buyback? Two and a half doesn't surprise me. Three would surprise me if it stayed. I do think there'd be some buyback at three. I think it's important to evaluate individual game bets separately from how your futures portfolio looks. And that becomes more difficult at this time of year. You know, like I, I placed the biggest to win bet of my life uh, last week on the bills to win the Super Bowl. Um, and so I have now I'm like invested in the bills winning every game. You've got five uh, bets on them now. Uh, you, you don't need to bet them. You've got a sweat equity in every game. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, it, so it's there, but then, but then I also have to think about the fact that if I break down this handicap, you know, like the Cowboys, I think are a little bit inflated right now. Um, the game against the Eagles was impressive. Like there's no doubt that they played well and, and they play, you know, they played up to expectations, but the Eagles had three fumbles on first down play on positive first down plays. Yeah. Uh, the Cowboys had one fumble that was on a third and 10 sack that was returned for a touchdown. So, you know, when people say like, well, you know, the, the, the Cowboys also lost a fumble that offsets one, like, no, not all fumbles are created equal. A sack on third and 10 is going to be a turnover anyway. Um, and in a, in a game where there's a lot of offense, like you can expect them to score a touchdown. So it's not that big versus for, you know, first down positive plays, fumbling the ball, especially in the red zone. So I think that game was a lot closer than, than people think. Um, and so I'm a little bit kind of lower on the Cowboys coming out of it, but the problem is I also wasn't that impressed with the bills against the chiefs. So I'm like looking at this matchup and being like, you know, which, which team is getting more, more undeserved credit right now. And I just, I just don't know what the answer is. So happy to let the betters fight over this one. Um, and I think I'm just rooting for the bills to win outright because I want this train to keep going and I'd love to see the bills in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. I hope they lose week 18 though. They're playing a certain team in uh, South beach. I hope it was actually a good weekend for bills equity, right? Uh, Texans lost Colts lost Steelers lost bills. won. Uh, Stroud got hurt. If you're into that stuff, I'm kind of into it. Uh, I think it was a good weekend for bills. All right. Let's talk uh, about Miami and the jets. Uh, Miami, the look ahead was 11. Uh, you can you could bet it as early as Monday morning in some books, and then the Monday game happened and Tyreek Hill got hurt, and uh, now that that line is sitting at a nine and a half plus one hundred three on Pinnacle. It's essentially a nine uh, when you break it down across most books. Some places have eight and a half. I guess my question is: Is this uh, Tyreek Hill related? Uh, is this Dolphins looking bad related? Uh, and what is Tyreek Hill worth to a spread? Like I know you don't. I know you don't uh, power rate teams by numbers, but when you think of this Dolphins offense without Tyreek Hill, how much do you downgrade them in your mind? Yeah, he's huge. Uh, Connor Williams also matters uh, with this offensive line. You know, I, I was on the Jets the first time these, te these teams played, and Tim Boyle, you know, crushed my dreams. Uh, the the fail Mary, you know, really swung that game. The Dolphins weren't really dominating that game offensively. Like it was, it was pretty tight in the first half, and then they kind of got enough possessions to, to kind of make it work in the second half. So I think the Jets money makes a lot of sense to me because Tyreek Hill is enough to bring this over the 10, clearly. Um, I mean, as a player on a team in a vacuum, Tyreek Hill is not, you know, he, like when he went down for the Chiefs, like it wasn't, you know, the Chiefs have other options. They can figure it out. They got Patrick Mahomes, et cetera. But in this offense in particular, like the way that this offense is run, 
it relies on what he does downfield. Like he's just such a massive element. And you saw it in the game last night when he was out, the Dolphins offense just was Weird like, mind. Whoa, okay. Like, mind, yeah. <laughs> what's their next option? Right. So, so I do think that matters. I think that given a week to prepare, if, if they know that Terry kills gone, then I think, uh, you know, Mike McDaniel has the chops to kind of figure out how to use the other pieces effectively. And so I, it makes sense that the, the line's not crashing down um, against the, what is a bad offense that just had a crazy good game or a crazy good second half, I should say. Um, but I, but I do think that the, the Jets money is completely justified. The under money is completely justified. If there's any doubt that Terry kill plays this, this does continue to come down. All right, let's move into the Thursday nighter. Uh, I want to start off with a conversation about Justin Herbert though. Um, I've been saving this convo for you. Um, the reality is in the NFL, Clark, if you have a great quarterback, you usually go to the playoffs. You usually win 10 wins. That's just like the reality. You can correlate top quarterbacks in the league to uh, playoff spots. That's We've known for years they win you know, 65 70% of their games, and the really great ones win 80-plus percent of their games. Um, the last time a great quarterback, I guess, uh, didn't win, despite leading the league in all kinds of passing categories, is Deshaun Watson when Houston had four wins. And I know how you feel about Watson, and – Maybe that is the correlation, right? That um, he's revealed himself to have not been elite. And that might explain the four, the four win season only, despite the stats uh, looking gaudy. Herbert still has gaudy stats, but the Chargers uh, find ways to lose. And, and, and before it's like, oh yeah, you know, he's losing in shootouts, but like they're winning games six, nothing. And, 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 and like, they're doing nothing offensively against Denver, uh, for a quarter and a half. And, and obviously the offense, uh, has some injuries, but like the regression on the chargers, the last three weeks has been pitiful. Like the offense has completely collapsed. And my I guess my, my raw question is, is it time to stop making excuses for Justin Herbert? I've been reading a lot of people more and more are, are done. They, they are, have changed their opinion on him or they are not forgiving anymore. Yeah. I, I have materially downgraded my perception of Justin Herbert this year. I, I came into the year thinking he was in that sort of tier below Patrick Mahomes in terms of Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, maybe Joe Burrow, maybe Lamar Jackson tier of quarterbacks. Um, and I, I think he's clearly not in that tier right now. Um, it's been disappointing because he showed so much promise as a rookie and then continue to show enough in, in the next two years to kind of be like, okay, this guy's like really special, but he he's not elevating his team when, when his team's poor and he's not elevating in key moments. Like, you know, I, I understand that there's like a lot of noise to end game scenarios and like, well, he's, you know, he's always in end game scenarios and yeah. sometimes he's delivered game winning drives that have not been game winning drives because the defense then lets the other team score and all that kind of stuff. There's a bunch of that. But like what I see on the field is like it, it, he doesn't have, and this is the thing that I would say he shares with, with Deshaun Watson is he doesn't have that killer instinct that, that level of focus that rises in the most key moments. And like what cost Watson in that season was, I think they lost three games because Watson fumbled the ball in key moments that, that you know, could have ended the game in a win and up losing. Um, and so they, they won four games. And it's, it's like, it's not a coincidence that this happens to Deshaun Watson and that kind of stuff doesn't really happen to guys like Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes. Like they don't blow games that consistently. And I think I've been disappointed by Justin Herbert because he seems to fit within the structure he's provided 
and do really well with it. And so when that structure is not good, he's not good. And when they're, when the players aren't good, he's, he's not good. And I, so what, what I would love to see the Chargers do is get an offensive mind, someone like Ben Johnson that can create an offense that works for any quarterback. Mm-hmm. And I think he could be like an incredible system quarterback because of his talent and his accuracy and downfield ability and, you know, sack evasion, all those things can matter, but they don't matter right now because the structure is not working and the talent around him is not working. Um, and so he, he's definitely not in that elite tier for me, um, but he's not, he's, he's a franchise quarterback. He's the guy for the chargers. I'm not, you know, people, people go too far. In he's the second highest paid quarterback in football, Clark. He's got, he better be right. Yeah. And that, and that's the problem is it, now he's getting paid. It's going to be harder to build around him. I think him and Burrow are going to have the same problem. I think in the AFC is that they're both, they're both system quarterbacks essentially at this point in my mind, Herbert's better at like creating, but he's not better at elevating and he's not better at in those key moments. So I think this is a situation that has a, like, they're going to have to improve a ton for me to be optimistic about the Chargers next year. All right. This is the, uh, you know, mass brings up a good point. The Corey Lindsley loss was massive. It was. And so was Mike Williams and Josh Palmer. Like they, they lost a lot of weapons and you know what a real blunder was, was taking Quentin Johnson. He, he continues to make mistakes and, a lot of receivers after him have been very, very good. Clark, this is the state of the NFL. We're, me and you are right now going to break down the Thursday night football game. And Easton Stick will be playing against Aiden O'Connell. That is, that's the reality of the NFL. There's, every game has bad quarterbacks in it. it, it, it it's, 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 it's a wonder how we got to this point, but the quality level in the NFL is, is not very good. <laughs> Where do you begin to start handicapping this game? Or is this a game you have interest in betting at any of the current lines? Is this a game you even want to watch? You're going to make me break down this game between the Raiders who scored zero points last week and the Chargers who scored seven um, and yeah, six. The, the the, six, nothing two weeks ago and three, nothing last week. That's what these two teams have done in yeah. recent times. Um, I think all I have to offer on this game is kind of, you know, my working theory on the backup quarterbacks out of nowhere Easton stick appears to be more of a statue than a uh, mobile backyard kind of guy. Um, he did have a really nice throw downfield to Quentin Johnson uh, on Sunday, which was, which was cool. Um, and he placed the ball pretty well in, in some spots, but uh, not, not a guy that I'm looking to buy the variance on. Um, yeah. But also, also not like, I mean, how much value is there on Raiders favorite by three, actually sharpest bet of the year. I bet the look ahead on the Raiders in this one at plus four and a half. So, you know, if you didn't know Justin Herbert was going to get hurt, then what are you doing, right? You are laughing right now at plus four and a half. Uh, Clark, uh, I'm sitting there watching uh, the Denver uh, Chargers game with my partner, and he says, uh, uh, Easton Sticks going in. I said, Easton, that's such a weird first name. Like, it's bad enough your last name is Stick. Who the hell would name their kid Easton? And you know what he says to me? Because they probably named him after the the hockey stick, Easton Stick, and I said, "Shit, that that, that actually makes a lot of sense." Uh, that's my thoughts on the game. That that's my uh, yeah. expertise. Is Easton's got a cool name? Not only do I not want to watch this game, Clark, or break it down or bet on it, uh, I also don't like. There's no future value in these two teams. They're not going to be there in December, and uh, I, I'm not exactly rushing to bet either team uh, the rest of the way out. Uh, this one's going mean, to be a test. It's an interestingly low total for an indoor game. Um, you know, 30, and, 
it, it ticked up. It ticked up. I think uh, I, I think it was uh, 33, 33 and a half, and now there's 34s out there. So maybe he gets to 35 by close. Uh, that that that's interesting. It's just the Raiders play specifically Clark to limit big plays. They have become an under machine by by design. And I gotta I gotta tell you, last week people were like, oh, you know. Um, New England Pittsburgh's a brutal watch. And I'm like, no, I found I found my bet. I found the Ezekiel Elliott uh carries over. I said this is gonna be the Zeke show. Uh, and you know what? There was enough things that kept me interested in this game. This game I have no interest in, none whatsoever. Yeah. I think okay, so sometimes with games like this where I'm like, I have no interest in any of the major markets, I don't want to risk a ton of money. I'll build like a DGen SGP and just throw some money on it, just you know, because like you do that enough times and you hit. So like the idea that the Raiders um, could dominate this game, I think, is is plausible. The mm. The Chargers defense has been bad for a long time now, and they've played some offenses that haven't really capitalized. Um, and so I think, you know, Aiden O'Connell has shown he can, like when he's in structure and when he knows what he's doing and he's comfortable, he can sling the rock. Like he's got a good arm. Um, and so there's sort of a mental aspect with this, but like it's possible the Chargers are going to give up. Justin Herbert just oh, went yeah. down. You know, the Brandon State is losing the locker room. It, it, I, I don't really, I would never play narrative angles on a major market, but it's one of those things where I'm like, if that's the case, there could be a massive tail outcome here on the Raiders side where it's just one way action. Um, so you, you could get look to get involved with something like that, playing like some Aiden O'Connell passing and some Raiders alt lines, something like that. But, um, and then you just kind of have fun. And, and I like watching those games. I don't like sweating my big bets. I like, I like watching when I have 20 bucks on the game to win, you know, couple thousand you know what game that was do you remember uh denver went to the la rams on christmas and denver's like was this yeah. season hell and la just like rolled them like 52 to 7 yeah You're right yeah, this could be one of those extreme out. right because the raiders there's still some juju left in that locker room they still want light yeah. cigars there's no way that the chargers had expectations failed miserably and now herbert's gone and they're playing for a coach that they don't believe in who's going to be gone next year. You're right. This could be an ugly one-way game. That's that's quite an interesting angle, Clark. Uh, I, I might take a look at some of the extreme alternate routes as well in that game. Yeah, I mean, it's just for fun. Like, it's not, I'm not saying the median outcome favors the Raiders. It's just, yeah. I like it. Uh, Clark, thank you so much for your time. Uh, always a pleasure. I look forward to talking with you every week and look forward to talking again next week. I want to remind people tomorrow, 2 o'clock, Best bets, Rob Pozzola, Eric Eager, Suma, and Hitman. Would you believe it? Hitman is now 1-13 on his best bets. That is impossible. The, the guy has a winning record because of his leans, but he can, like last week, he went perfect on his leans, missed his best bet. I don't know how that, like it's just a gag at this point. It's what was his best bet? His best bet was Green Bay, uh, and Tommy, he didn't know that Tommy DeVito's uh, agent from the Sopranos was uh, was in there uh, was in there to uh, hype up Tommy DeVito in front of his home crowd. Well, this was a pleasure, Clark. Thanks to you. Thanks to producer Jason. Thanks to the audience for their contributions. Until next time.